0: Welcome to Tooled Up Education's Researcher of the Month, where Dr Kathy Weston selects a paper from a notable researcher that will be of interest to parents and school staff everywhere. Dr Hope Christie is a Global Challenges Research Fellow and Associate Researcher at the Centre for Research and Families in the Department of Clinical Psychology at the University of Edinburgh. Her research specializes in the impact of trauma exposure and PTSD in parents and how this may affect parenting and the family dynamic. Dr. Lucy Hiscox is a postdoc research associate at the University of Bath. Her research expertise lies in brain imaging with MRI and investigating the relationship between brain structure and function. She's currently investigating the impact of trauma exposure incurred by mothers during pregnancy. So a very warm welcome to Hope and Lucy. How are you both?
1: Good, thank you.
0: Thank you. We are here today to discuss a really exciting evidence review that I know both of you have been co-authoring. Can you tell us a little bit about it, Hope?
1: Sure, I can do. We're part of a a group. It was myself and Lucy that that co-led and co-wrote the application, but we were joined with two colleagues, Professor Sarah Halligan and Professor Cathy Cresswell. So our rapid review was looking at the the impact of the COVID-19 lockdown restrictions and school closures on parents and carers in the UK. We were one of just five teams of academics that also carried out these rapid reviews. So they've covered pretty much every stage of the child's kind of school and journey, if you like. So there was a review that covered primary and secondary education, higher education, further education, and then us with the parents and carers. So yeah, we've covered everything. So the review was part of the the scientific advisory group for emergencies. So SAGE was the group that commissioned it via the Department of Education. So they're looking for some advice about the the impact of of lockdown and school closures on families and how to use that to inform the the government.
0: So Lucy, talk us through some of the big findings. I know that I think there were 32 articles reviewed in context of this review. Is that accurate?
2: Yeah, so we found over 30 published pieces of work. I think you're all right with 32. And they were all conducted in the UK. And they were a mixture of peer-reviewed published research articles, as well as surveys conducted by charities, such as Oxfam and Save the Children. Briefly, we found harms related to changes in parents' mental health and well-being which includes increases in depression, anxiety and loneliness. And we found additional financial harms related to earning capacity changes and employment and career opportunities. And then lastly, we found reports that suggest increases in physical harms to parents in the home, which include both domestic violence as well as child and adolescent violence towards their parents. And overall, yeah, we generally found that parents as a group suffered disproportionately compared to the wider population. Uh, So, for example, there there was strong evidence to suggest that increases in mental distress were particularly prominent in parents with preschool children compared to among adults without children.
0: I think anecdotally, many parents groups have been talking about the fact and many teachers have been saying to me they they really felt for parents with very young children. I remember at the beginning of lockdown speaking to a young mum who had three children under five, you know, living in a high-rise flat where it was very difficult to get, you know, at that point, nobody was allowed to exercise more than one period of the day. So you can totally understand, can't you, why perhaps those findings have emerged? Oh yeah, absolutely. And there's
2: there's evidence that specific social groups were impacted actually. So we found that psychological distress was particularly high for lone mothers relative to partnered mothers. And this was linked to kind of having to adapt their working patterns due to childcare. And then yeah, people with financial insecurities and employment, poor quality housing, poor health, lack of social support were also more likely to report moderate and severe depression and anxiety and then I should also mention that parents who have children with special educational needs or neurodevelopmental disorders were particularly impacted with elevated anxiety and depression and in fact a a study of parents of children with special educational needs showed how challenging behaviours of their children were associated with their parents psychological distress during the pandemic
0: And Hope, one of the things that I've been puzzling over reading some of the data from your study is that there seems to be quite a a little bit of ambivalence about how strong the association now is between parental mental health and child mental health. Can you say a little Hmm. bit more about that? Because I used to think it was quite a clear association and I don't think that's so much the case now.
1: I think it is probably still quite a clear association, I guess. The difference now is that this is quite an unprecedented event in terms of the lockdown restrictions and the and the school closures and just everything you were saying before, Kathy. about, you know, there's a, a loss of routine and what Lucy was saying as well, there's a lack of social support now. If you are a parent or a family that lives maybe without access to a garden or green space and, you know, you're stuck for things to do and you're all in the house together. So it's maybe not so much that the strong association has disappeared, but it's more likely just because we're still really learning as we go in terms of this event and how it's going to pan out for our parents and, and their children. And there is quite clear links in, in terms of previous research between parent mental health and child mental health. And, and we know that the research really strongly points to parenting behaviours as a vehicle almost for that link and we know that for example parents with depression have been found to have poorer parent-child relationships due to maybe parents being a bit more unresponsive or inattentive or a bit more withdrawn or irritable with their children and similarly Research also found that anxious parents have been found to be a bit more perhaps overprotective or displaying more anxious parenting behaviours, which in turn has been linked to, to child anxiety. So I think the research is there and I don't think it's any less valid now. I think it's maybe because we're still in the middle of the COVID pandemic, despite the fact obviously everyone seems to be where we're getting our vaccines now. I think we're really still not seeing the full effects of that. I was just going to follow up on that that Hope said is that research
2: is generally lacking on what impact parental well-being will have on children. Mm -hmm. Um, And we do know from previous studies that parental well-being is essential for children's mental health. But there was one interesting study by the COVID-19 Psychological Research Consortium, which found that young people whose parents were key workers experienced greater levels of anxiety and trauma and reported more somatic symptoms and overall lower levels of general well-being and that was compared to children whose parents were not key workers so while overall children and young people whose parents were key workers appear to have been impacted much more negatively we don't know whether this was because of changes in their parents own mental health at the time or due to a lack of availability or support or something else and so while additional support should be provided to these children further research is required to understand the causes of that relationship.
0: Yeah, there's so much to unpick there. Were they picking up on the sort of general health anxiety or hearing about key worker deaths in the news? There's so much that could be going on there. I wanted to ask you, Hope, about, I was interested in some of the differences potentially as parents in Northern Ireland. I know that you looked at some of the data coming out of Northern Ireland specifically, and I'm quite interested in that because there are slight differentiations between how long children, for example, were in lockdown, out of education in Northern Ireland. There were slight differences. So what can you tell us about Northern Ireland?
1: I mean, Lucy, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that we have two reports from Northern Ireland. So actually, in the grand scheme of the 32, we didn't have very many reports but I mean, similarly, to be honest, we had similar numbers for Scotland and for Wales as well. But yeah, in terms of Northern Ireland, in terms of parents who were going through struggles with homeschooling, we did find that quite a lot of them did report difficulties in, in managing their own mental and physical well-being. So those were parents of high school students who found their difficulties in managing their own mental and physical well-being while homeschooling their children. And the majority of parents also identified that actually in that report, the importance of reaching out to other parents to share concerns about their children. So that was a big thing that actually was found in the Northern Ireland reports, but actually was also found in other reports as well, that obviously parents did have a massive concern about their child's education and and learning loss throughout the, the school closure. So parents in the Northern Ireland reports did talk about the importance of reaching out to other parents to share those concerns. Lucy, I don't know if you want to add anything else in about that.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say the Northern Ireland report actually was one of the only reports that reported positive changes mm. to parents. So it was a, a you know one of the larger surveys of several thousand parents, and actually the majority of parents said that they found time spent homeschooling their children had beneficial effects, which included finding new things out about their child, talking and listening, and joining new activities together. So. Also, it's worth mentioning that the data showed how children also enjoyed spending time with their parents or caregivers. But of course, it's likely not to be universal and it depends on the context in which the lockdown was spent.
0: Yeah, there was a definite sense that for some families, there were lovely discoveries within it, uh, you know, yeah. that, and it, it was a time of bonding, except, but of course, it's so dependent on people's so many different factors in those different contexts. But I thought that was interesting that homeschooling featured quite heavily in, in your report, doesn't it? How, yeah it put a strain on relationships where people were co-parenting, a strain on separated parents. Tell us a little bit more about that, Hope.
1: Yeah, well, actually, yeah, that's, you're exactly right, Cathy, that we did find that. One of the bigger reports, kind of surveying parents across the UK from the ONS, found that homeschooling had negatively affected parents' well-being. So, when the survey was first released, about only 28% of over 4,000 parents were saying this, but that number quickly rose to about 50% when the survey was redistributed in January of this year. So, over half the parents were saying that homeschooling was was really negatively affecting their well-being, and, and as you said, Kathy was putting a negative strain on on relationships as well. And yeah, as Lucy had brought up before, we did find several separate surveys that had parents with Children with special educational needs were also feeling very overwhelmed with trying to homeschool their child and actually highlighted how they felt quite unprepared and inadequate to really help and support their child as best they could. And were they actually reported as well, they were quite worried they were they were letting their child down in that process, which obviously in itself can add more stress.
0: And Hope, isn't it the case that the whole experience of lockdown and the pandemic has really highlighted how what you've known for years is these sort of pillars of support that lie within the community, that belong in school communities, all of the assets, those protective assets were suddenly taken away, weren't they? And suddenly people realized the importance of social support and, you know, the teacher-people relationship, all those things
1: yeah yeah, hundred percent I think that's exactly true I think social support is a, a we know is a, a is a massive protective factor for mental health difficulties and I think obviously lockdown has really highlighted that as, as as you said has been important because we've kind of had to stay at home and kind of isolate from from others and while some people might be fortunate to have video calls or, or phone calls it's sometimes not possible and that can just kind of further, emphasize the social isolation and the loneliness so yeah it's it's um it's really highlighting all those difficulties
0: lucy tell us a little bit about loneliness I, i'm not sure this was a kind of a concept that people used to talk about uh, so openly you know about in sort of this society until the pandemic and then now it seems to be quite a talking point and your review certainly highlights a lot about loneliness tell us about what you found
2: Yeah, so actually there there were quite a few studies that looked into loneliness. There was the Royal Report, which documented changes in loneliness uh, specifically due to the the pandemic. And it rose, I think, from 38% to 63%. So there was a large jump in the uh, number of people reporting that they were lonely. And uh, it's worrisome because we do know that loneliness can translate into depression and other mental health issues. So yeah, it's important because we didn't we didn't find any evidence in the context of the pandemic which may be effective for you know treating or mitigating loneliness. But we do know things like telephone-based social support and education can be effective in reducing loneliness in other contexts, so with people with early stage breast cancer. So if we consider parents more specifically, we know previous research has shown how. Developing communication skills and forming social connections like engaging in peer support can be effective. So we know how peer support generally provides validation, normalisation and reassurance. So parents feeling lonely or isolated may want to uh, contact charity helplines or engage in peer support online through various charity websites
0: and hope i think everyone knows we've we've read about it in the press that about domestic violence mm. uh, being practitioners had reported an increase certainly in that area and there was a sort of a sense during lockdown there was a lot of advertisements around you know who you can contact if you're locked in with with the perpetrator is that you know that was people seem to be quite aware of that issue even during that period of time
1: yeah you're you're definitely right and i think the I know one of my my colleagues had said that the slogan, stay home, stay safe, unfortunately didn't really apply to everybody during the lockdown. And unfortunately, for quite a considerable amount of children and young people and their parents, home really wasn't a safe place to, to be. And obviously school closures, social distancing requirements made an increased risk for those that were isolated at home with abusive family members or cut off from sources of support or, or respite. So yeah, it's actually really interesting because there was a lot of reports and as you said, a lot of practitioners reported a rise in access to domestic abuse helplines. And I know that the Refugees National Domestic Abuse Helpline seen an increase in about 950% above pre-pandemic levels. So a massive increase in people calling for help and. For help and support but actually our report found it was one report from looking at police forces across wales found actually that there was a a decrease in reporting to the police by about 15 percent of domestic violence and also there was a decrease in people presenting an accident and emergency for for domestic assault and and that may be because like you say kathy, they were they were kind of locked in with their their abusers who were, were less likely to report because they were unable to because obviously we do know that charity helplines did did see a dramatic increase in in looking for for help and support after that after something had happened, so yeah, the, the kind of reduction
2: in police reporting was attributed to parents not wanting to uh, call the police in what was perceived as a busy period so even though the evidence suggests that people are asking for more help the official records don't show this but, but there are various reasons why that might be the case
0: and i was quite taken aback i think one of the the things that really stood out for me is this increase in child and adolescent violence yeah. and the sever, the severity of violence towards parents that was something i've been you know was quite taken aback by tell us a little bit about that hope
1: yeah that, that i mean same same here actually it was something that we hadn't because we in the report, we've we've kind of put this under the umbrella of physical harm. So we do talk about harm in the home in terms of domestic violence for the parent, but also then there was this evidence coming out about this child and adolescent violence towards parents, which was really interesting to read about and something that I, I hadn't been really aware of before this time. So... What we did find is that actually there are quite a number of parents that do about, I think the report was saying a rough, about 70% of increase of reporting of parents with children aged between 10 and 19 that had experienced violence or violent behaviour, aggressive behaviour towards them from their child. This was actually also seen in kinship carer reports. So kinship carers being not the, the biological mother or father, but perhaps another family member that's, that's looking after the child, like a grandparent. So kinship carers had also reported an increase in aggression from the children as well during the lockdown period and school closures. And a lot of that in the report looks like it's linked to you know, a, a lack of routine because the schools are closed and seeing an increase in disruptive behaviour in the child that's actually just kind of getting and worse and worse because... You know they're they're not going to school. They're not in a routine. They maybe don't have access to green spaces or being able to get outside, and the disruptive behaviour is kind of getting worse. So yeah, that was that was something that kind of came up as well. Was this child and adolescent and violence for So
0: many parents had to tell their teenagers they couldn't see their friends, for, and that yeah. caused all sorts of, of conflict and arguments in many homes, yeah. <laughs> um, as well. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about. I know that your review also explored potential interventions or mitigation measures is that accurate Yes that's yeah, correct
1: that's right.
0: and you were able to you know as part of that explore and and contact various experts on all the different outcomes of your review and so let's just look at some of the interventions which seem to be helpful I think one of the first ones that was mentioned is brief psychological interventions for parents I've got a list of them here I've got a list so let's run through them. I think that some of the interventions that seem to be helpful, brief psychological interventions for parents can be effective in treating depression, anxiety, loneliness. Available evidence suggests that psychological treatment for maternal depression can have a small to moderate effect on children's mental health. Mother child interactions. Then we have group based delivery of, of cognitive behavioral therapy for the treatment of depression. Self guided interventions can be effective where there is therapist support, mm-hmm. uh, digital smartphone apps supporting psychological interventions and reminders to engage, the inclusion of a greater number of in app engagement features. Loneliness can also be helped by social support, developing communication skills, which is something Lucy mentioned earlier, and forming social connections via peer support. So I think that it's quite exciting to know that there are a range of interventions that can alleviate some of the drastic kind of impact of the of lockdown and the pandemic.
2: Yeah, and for example, there was talking about the, the different types of therapy, the kind of the worrying thing is obviously that there might be a lot of people who now need this support because of the pandemic. So interventions should be cost effective and available to all. So some of the studies that we looked at were actually, okay, so can app-based therapy or group-based therapy instead of the traditional mode of delivery, which is individualized treatment with a therapist, whether these kind of more cost effective ways can be as effective and actually what we found is that they, they can be. So that's reassuring in terms of providing this support to a wider number of people. There
0: definitely seems to be a great interest in online interventions, doesn't there, to support? You know, yeah. I think I read about the project initiated by Cartwright-Hatton and then there's Ginsburg in 2020, You're know, undertaking large scale trials of online interventions to support parents to prevent child anxiety mm-hmm. problems delivered through school settings that sounded very exciting
1: yeah it's i think as lucy said i think it's it is important to try and identify interventions that are are freely, are widely available to a lot of people because we we know from past research that those who maybe might be in need of some sort of intervention or, or some form of therapy might not be able to access it continuously or might not, yeah, for one reason or another there might be barriers there to doing so. So I think it's important that the intervention is as accessible as it can be to, to everyone who needs it. And of course, I think
0: going back to that point about the sort of the increase in disruptive behaviour or conflict between children and parents... And I'm sure you're very interested in this particularly, Hope, identifying potential trauma symptoms in children when sure. when those symptoms present in a classroom setting. Yeah. How can that classroom teacher identify that easily so we're not entering into a vicious circle of kind of punishment and exclusion and managing children's disclosures when they do talk about violence in the home as well? And knowing who to signpost to is really, really critical, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, we were really fortunate to be able to contact an expert around the domestic violence and and physical harms to, to be able to help us put together the the section in the report around mitigations for that. And yeah, they they did highlight a lot of a lot of interesting resources for us to have a look at and and quite a lot of them did talk about this need for, not even better, but actually just more training for teachers. Because, you know, if kids are going back to school now, and exactly as you say, Kathy, they might be disruptive in class, they might be acting out, they might be different, behaving differently. And this might not be just due to kind of back in the classroom and, and settling back into a routine, there might be something else they are going on at home. So I think it is important for teachers to to receive some additional training now on recognizing trauma symptoms in in children and in, in their parents if teachers happen to interact with them as well. And I think one of the reports recommended some, if it's possible, obviously I know that teachers are, are massively overwhelmed as it is, but if it would be possible for teachers to carve out time to maybe get some one-on-one or have some pupil teacher check-ins to see how things are with their students in terms of going on at home and then, as you say, Cathy, being able to signpost to the correct places for the right support and managing a, a potential increase in disclosures for, for abuse in the home.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of uh, teaching staff will be saying, oh, my goodness, you know, I need help working out what those exploratory questions should look like. Yes. Um, you know, they're afraid to you know, ask very delicate questions about that. And I think that it needs to be clear in any school setting what the pathway is To particular agencies, doesn't it? We need to. I think schools could take your review that you've done and really think about what are the implications for us? Do we know how to proceed on the basis of this? Do we know how to identify trauma in children? Do we know who to signpost to? Do we know how to have those conversations?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And hopefully they'll be able to use our review not only for the content that we have in it, but also actually for the resources that we cite in the review. So I'm thinking of one in particular that was written by the Violence, Abuse and Mental Health Network. So they wrote this in conjunction with a group of another charity group called Survivors Voices. So this was a group of children and young people who had themselves experienced abuse and maltreatment in the home and essentially they've they've created this really fantastic report about their experiences and kind of what to do what questions to ask maybe things that might be helpful in the future in terms of of suggested recommendations so that's just one of the helpful resources that's come to my mind just now but hopefully they'll be able to use that as well to go and look at different resources via our report
0: Brilliant, brilliant. So obviously, the review is something that you hope, both of you hope, that schools in particular will be able to take and and mull over and think about when they have those inset days and they're able to, you know, really take it forward and and explore some of those mitigating factors that they might be able to do something about in-house, Lucy.
2: Yeah, exactly. And um, we're going to be having a launch event to kind of talk about the findings and the, the possible mitigations and actually you kind of want a, a whole range of people to attend and so are contacting uh, like school governors, college governors, policymakers. So we hope that by having this knowledge event grouping these range of people to this range of people together, we can actually have an impact with this work and, mm-hmm. and make some make some positive changes. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much, both of you for joining me and well done on doing such an incredibly valuable piece of work. It's published September 2021. So one last question, Lucy, what is the standout finding for you? What what have you been mulling over as a result of doing that review? Oh, that's a good question.
2: Yeah. So I would say that one that stands out to me is the fact that parents with young children seem to be suffering most with psychological distress and mental health issues and um yes yeah, certain uh, single parents people with more financial issues whether this effect is long term we don't know like there's some evidence to suggest that actually there's once restrictions are eased some of these symptoms are attenuated so that's that's positive. But on the same side, when restrictions have then been introduced again, we're seeing a cumulative effect in where symptoms that were, were reported in the first lockdown get worse in the second lockdown, get worse in the third lockdown. So I think knowing whether these symptoms are going to be long lasting is interesting. And it, we will need to kind of follow that up now that there's been the recent removal of all restrictions. So the question is, Will these effects persist into the long term or will they be removed now that we have our freedoms back? Who knows? And Hope, what
0: was the standout finding for you briefly?
1: I think that... The biggest thing for me was probably actually the just how much the, the pandemic really highlighted that v- very vulnerable families were just now more vulnerable in terms of lower income families, single parent families, in terms of not only their child's lack of access to education or just actually in terms of their learning loss compared to maybe better off peers, but just as well in terms of parents' mental health. And well-being, and as Lucy said, you know we're we're still really in the middle of the pandemic, so I think there's still a lot to learn in terms of the longer-lasting effects of this. And I think, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time to kind of watch as the research comes out now that now that we're starting to all the restrictions are starting to ease.
0: So it's basically an ongoing piece of research, isn't it? That was the sort of you've you've done a great job reviewing where we are, but this is definitely a moving picture, Lucy.
2: Yeah, I think so. And the studies that kind of tell us more, more useful information are the ones that are longitudinal and uh, they follow up the same people over time. So I think with that, with time, and you know, publication is a lengthy process, so we don't always get the results immediately. We'll definitely find out more information as time goes on. There's certainly people doing the research that we need, and also because our our review was limited to UK studies. We have that limitation there in that our report only documents the harms identified in the UK. So worldwide, there might be other useful information coming out. It just wasn't specifically mentioned in this report.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much, both of you. And we really look forward to seeing how this work is taken forward. And congratulations. And I hope the launch event is a great success and that everyone is able to benefit from the work that you've done. Thanks again.
2: Okay.
0: this podcast is brought to you by tooled up education the home of evidence-based tips on parenting family life and education www.tooledupeducation.com parents and teachers in tooled up schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the tooled up site